Good morning. Today we're going to be learning about the fear of God, a subject that I, for a long time, did not understand, and I still, the Holy Spirit is still teaching me. First, I want to, I want to lift up today uh, to God, real quick in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this time that we can all come together and just learn more about you and understand you more, Lord God. Uh, let us be just consumed by your Holy Spirit. Just let him speak to us, Lord God. Uh, let us just continue to, to just grow in knowledge of you, Lord God, and, and just be comforted. Like, Lord, I ask you just please just bless this this sermon that you've given me, Lord God, and I ask that you just give us a great, uh, a great day, Lord God. In your precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the fear of God. What is it? This whole entire time we've been taught, we, we, we've been taught that fear is bad. Uh, you know, God did not give us uh, the spirit of fear. Uh, to be afraid of something is to, to not trust that, that God is, is to take care of us. Uh, we've been, it's been pounded into us since the, the very beginning, since we were young, that, that don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this, that, or the other. And that's good. That's absolutely good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what I want to what I want to hit on today. Um, Martin Luther uh, really distinguished the, the two types of fear best. He separates the, the two different types of fear uh, as servile fear and filial fear. So the servile fear is uh, somewhat of what we understand real fear to be. It is uh, that which you would experience uh, such as a uh, prisoner would, would feel towards his torturer or, or Someone from one country, if they were to attack another, they would, they would feel that fear of the, of, the, of the the opposition. But there's also filial fear, which because it's from the Latin, it comes from family. Uh, refers to, it refers to the fear that a, a child has for his father, with respect and a love, with a desire to please him, or put together a really good sermon. But ultimately, uh, filial fear uh, invokes uh, an attitude of awe, uh, reverence, and adoration or submission. Let's talk about awe. Oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> I was absolutely making a joke. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And I know the Holy Spirit's got this. <laughs> That's because... I still don't fully get it. <laughs> but let's talk about awe today, real quick. Uh, I'll pose a question to you: Is God safe? We know God to be a place of rest, a place of uh, the, the place where we can find contentment and find uh, courage and strength. But I, I, I pose to you that, that, that no, God is not safe, but He is good. We recognize this by just reading the word, seeing where God showed his might at the Red Sea with Moses when he parted the waters. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den, where he closed the mouths of the lions uh, to keep Daniel safe. Jesus calming the storm. When God sent she-bears to defend Elisha, uh, 
when he crumbled the walls of Jericho. All of these times we can look back and see how great God is. It's very important that we don't, we don't, we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and the greatness of who God is. Because if we take our eyes off of who God is, then all we see is what's around us. And we begin to live sensuously, and that's not what God has for us. God has that our, God would have that we know him and not feel him all the time. Don't get me wrong, I feel God constantly. It's not always when it is, it's so good. There's nothing wrong with the feeling of God's presence and understanding who he is and that he's never here to, he's never going to leave me or forsake me. First, we are to be in awe of his creation. Turn with me real quick to Psalm 65, 8. Do I have to type this in? Oh, no. What's the app I'm looking for? <laughs> the Bible and maps. You have too many Bibles. You have way too many Bibles. <laughs> you can never say that, but you do. You got too many Bibles. All right. Psalm 65, verse 8. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Verse 9, you visit the earth and the water in it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain so that you, so that you have prepared it. Right here, David is, is looking out and he's seeing all the things that God does. What seems almost in a passive way. He sees what God has already done and how he's just let it go in, in, in this perfect creation. A lot of times I'll, I'll just be going about my day. I can tell you, I spend most of my time inside. As a, as a young man, as a child, I, I, I was constantly outside playing uh, with other kids looking at the sky, the trees, this, that, and the other. And I can tell you right now, this time in my life, I don't get a chance to as often as I'd love to. And if, if you take even just five minutes of your day, separate from, from, from any other distraction, and just look at the sky, look at the trees, see what God has already done, and be in awe of it. Recognize his power with just a word. God said, let there be light. There was light. He separated the waters from the firmament. With a single word, God spoke and created what we walk on today, what we breathe today. So recognize his power through his blessings in getting you through hard times. I posed this, this, uh, this challenge to my, to my youth 
in writing down their blessings. And it sounds cute. But it's something that really uh, we forget to do uh, a lot of times is we forget uh, to really think back at what God has already done in our lives. All we can see is what's ahead of us and what's happening right now. If we keep our eyes simply on the things that are around us and the things that, that, that would keep our eyes off God, then it, 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 everything seems daunting. Simply from getting out of bed in the morning. Because all you can think about is what, what I'm up against this day. i got to go to work. I'm going to spend eight hours at work. And if I don't love my job, then I'm spending most of my day doing something I dislike. Okay, so if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to come home. Uh, and after you've already given up most of your day to just frustration, anger, because your eyes are not on what God is doing right now. Your eyes are on what is up, what you're up against. Then your God has become small. You're not recognizing what God has already done in your life. So, you were here. At one point in your life, you did not know God. There was, no, there, was a, there was not a complete separation because God is always here. He has not separated himself from this earth. So at some point, you still don't have that relationship with God. And at a certain point, God makes his presence known. And your relationship with God starts to, to, to grow. that you come against hardship, difficulty, loss. And you start to distrust what God is doing in your life and you realize that this is going to be huge. The waves are getting larger and larger and larger. And you, keep, you take your eye off God and all you can think of is all I need to do is be right here. that's where I was and if God can get me from here all the way to here then one more step is nothing be in awe of what God has done already in creation in your life in blessings and getting you through the difficulties that you already dealt with How do we actively recognize the things that God has done in our lives? Of course, we, we, we see them just by remembering them in our mind and, and feeling them in our hearts, and we know that God is there. But how do we actively express God? He's been with me now. He's been with you then. He'll be with me now. Express it inwardly, of course but outwardly as well. Um, 
Turn with me real quick to uh, still, still stay in Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms a lot today. <laughs> Psalms 96, verse 4. Psalm 96, 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. Praise him. It seems so simple, and yet we forget to on a day-to-day basis. We look at what we're, what we're up against that day. i got to get this report in. My wife is sick. If I don't pick that up from the grocery store, we're going to be without milk for the rest of the week because I have no other time. What may seem trivial then is simply what is taking you away, taking your eyes off the Holy Father. And what he's already done in your lives. So simply praise him. Praise him both for what he has done and for what he will do. It says in in Joshua chapter 1 that he will never leave you or forsake you. And those two words seem very similar but they're very different. First, God will never leave you. He will never take his presence away from you. God will never say, I am done. I have had it. You have sinned beyond what I can stand. I am leaving. That will never be who or what God is. Because he has given his word to us. And his word is truth. Now forsake. The word forsake means... To give up something that is of value and of pleasure. In the word, when God uses the word forsake, he is ultimately saying, I value you. I find pleasure in who you are. So I will never give you up. No. Never going to let you down. (laughs) I couldn't help that. (laughs) So praise him. Because he is worthy of it. And he is to be feared above all gods. What is a god? What is a god is something that, of course takes your eye away from Almighty God. It could be anything. It could be, uh, I, I, I'm going to watch this much television. I'm going to give this, I'm, I'm taking my time, this is time is for me. It is uh, anything that allows you uh, to either be take, take time as selfishness, it allows for selfishness, or uh, just something that you place on a pedestal, something that you, uh, bless you. a certain amount of reverence that we understand. We we recognize that, and this is not, again, this is no condemnation here, I mean no uh, legalism, but we understand that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So we don't come to church naked. (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't. I would never judge someone for what they're wearing to church. I don't know. LeBron James. <laughs> it matters what's in the heart. So, any kind of sports, this, that, goes to something and it'll be broken but all you have really anything that everything that God has really given you is your time so whatever you spend challenge you guys this week to, to really dig deep and see what your time, your time is spent on. And I'm not saying quit your job. <laughs> you can't. And, and God understands that. But I mean, where is your heart praising? What, is your, what, is, what are you giving your mind to? And recognize that it was greater than him. He obeyed. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He took off his shoes. So be in awe and express it through praise. Next, the act of being active in the is obedience. Turn with me to John, Second John, sorry. Second John chapter one, verse six. You don't have to say chapter one. John's just one chapter. <clears throat> so second John verse six. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk within it. The filial love, the love of a son to his father, it is a filial fear. It is a fear of disappointing your father. Bless you.
It's a certain amount of reverence that we understand. We, we recognize that, and this is not, again, I, this is no condemnation here, I mean no uh, legalism, but we understand that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So we don't come to church naked. <laughs> we don't. I would never judge someone for what they're wearing to church. It matters what's in the heart. But Moses understood the goodness and greatness of what was before him. When he saw the miracle that the angel of the Lord had done with the bush and heard the voice and recognized that it was greater than him, he obeyed. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He took off his shoes. Turn with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And what he knew what was right do was not easy. If we read in the scripture when he was praying at the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the stress of, of what, what he was about to do, what he knew that was coming, was so vibrant through his body that he sweat blood. And anyone in the medical field, any nurse will tell you, it's possible. at some point can rupture blood vessels in the body. So God knows, Jesus knows the amount of stress that we go throughout a day-to-day basis. I can guarantee you, Jesus knows every amount so that we might be saved and then stop. But he was obedient. And this is how we showed love in
still here to praise. We are to respect and be in reverence of God and His goodness. And we are to cry out to Him. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament, especially in the history of Hebrews chapter 12. That God heard when they cried out. Consider him who with the Egyptians. Of course, we're called not to be anxious, says that in Matthew 6. But it is somewhat of an anxiety that comes from I don't want to do poorly, I will do whatever I can. To be obedient. Whatever God has for me, whatever God says to me, tells me to do, I will do. And I will trust Him to guide me where I need to go. Of course, it goes without saying that Jesus was the perfect example of an obedient son. And what he knew it was right to do was not easy. If we read in the scripture when he was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, the stress of, of what, what he was about to do, what he knew that was coming, was so vibrant through his body that he sweat blood. And anyone in the medical field, any nurse will tell you, it's possible. That amount of stress at some point can rupture blood vessels in the body. So God knows, Jesus knows the amount of stress that we go through on a day-to-day -day basis. I can guarantee you, Jesus knows every amount. And then some. But he was obedient. And this is how he showed love to his father. tougher to swallow, but it's understood. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Start in verse 3. Sorry. Start in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin, and you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. 
Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9, because besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more in subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's difficult to think that the God who loves and the God who endures with us would allow things to, to come into our lives that would be difficult. I can talk to each and every father in here and they want the best for their children. They want the very best. They want their, their lives not to so much be completely easy, but they'd rather that there not be that much difficulty. Because they want success, they want goodness. But they also want righteousness. I can tell you right now that the, though God punishes, he does not, he's not happy about it. But he knows that through these times of difficulty, we will grow. And we will learn to trust in him, that he will endure with us in all things. That we would grow in righteousness and the knowledge of God. That each and every time we can look back and see how God took us through. Never forget your past. It may be tough to look back and, and but to look back with the knowledge that God never left you, He will never forsake you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does, God does not change. Uh, benefits of the fear of the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, you don't you don't have to turn. Each every I just want you to write some of these down if you can. Just the verses along with just the the, the blanket understatement of, of what they mean. I'm going to go to Psalm again. <laughs> uh, Psalm chapter 111, actually. Psalm 111. In verse 5, see it's right there. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Sustenance, something that keeps us going, something that moves us forward. God understands our needs. He understands our desires, but he definitely understands our needs and he knows that we need food. And if we are to fear him and trust him, that he will provide will provide. Same chapter, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. 
James 1.5, it tells us to ask for wisdom. And really, it all circles around. Because the wisdom, uh, the wisdom completely <laughs> uh, begins our fear of the Lord. If we are wise, then we would fear God. And if we fear God, then he will give wisdom, and so on and so forth. And we become continually drawn to our Father, understanding who he is. And his role in our lives, his complete encapsulating uh, role in our lives. In, uh, in chapter 147 of Psalms, So far we've got food, we've got wisdom. Next, Psalm 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So third, his favor. We're going to jump to for chapter 34 of Psalms. David had a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. Psalms chapter 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So protection. So we've got fear brings food, wisdom, his favor, protection. We're going to go to Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi 3, verse 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Right there. I will hear them. They will be mine. They are his possession. And he will deliver them. So we've got food, wisdom, favor. He's going to hear them, deliver them, and possess them. I know I got y'all jumping all over the place. Luke chapter 1, verse 50. Luke chapter 1 verse 50 says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So he will bring mercy to each generation who collectively fear the Lord. And finally, in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So protection, contentment, and life.
These, along with many others, are the benefits of the fear of the Lord. What God calls for us, he calls because it is good for us. So, what would keep us from fearing God? Why, if it is the beginning of wisdom, why, if it brings us long life, such as a son would or, or a daughter would be to a father, Ephesians 6, 1, obey your parents for this is right. It gives you long life. What would get in the way of us truly understanding the great and mighty power of God? Is it your coworker? Is it uh, your boss? Is it a friend of yours who continues to, to, to breathe into you this, that, or the other that would separate you from God? I'm going to tell you it's us. Individually, the reason we do not fear God is the same reason we do not trust Him and provide to provide and protect. And it stems from pride. Also in Proverbs... Chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We make ourselves and our problems seem so much bigger than the God that we serve. when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel pass over the Jordan on dry land. Because I will tell you, Joshua understood the spirit of trust.
People came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry land. So Joshua is instilling trust that God will do what he has said. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So they set up and, and they, they took these, these rocks as a, as, a, as, a, as a remnant, as a remembrance of, of, of you know, what God had done in their lives. I'm going to impress on you today, have something as a reminder, whether it be a list of what God has done for you or just something simple like a rock, something that you can look at and know that this is where God was faithful. He will be faithful again. This shows that the God, the good, and then shows God's might, and if. But the problem is that we face with our, with our day-to-day. And we face this because we don't see these miraculous manifestations all the time. But the point was that, that when Jesus left, he said, I am leaving with the Holy Spirit. It is the greatest gift that God has given us besides our salvation and, and it is it is a, a companion with us throughout our lives here. But if God has to constantly manifest in miracles for us to trust Him and be in awe of Him, then we are living by our senses, and the just live by faith. God is a God of both mercy and justice. He calls us to both. We show love through obedience and loving others. And, and, and really just pouring out to those around us. But if we are to be just, then we must live by faith. That God will provide, that God will protect, that God will show us where we need to go, that God will give us the words to speak. Or else we are living uh, sensuously and God does not call us to that. I'll read Exodus 19. It's all about uh, the Israelites coming to the, the mountain of Mount Sinai. It's at this point that God decides that he's going to show himself to his people. And he calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. And he tells the people to, to stay at the bottom. Isn't it awesome how God knows us? 
me read real quick, chapter 19. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are words that you shall speak to the, these are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. So, no longer, Moses, is this going to be a time where I just speak with you, and then you speak to the people. Because before, it was, it was a, God told me this. So they believed him and went. But God is, is, is slowly and surely becoming the, the ruler of these people. He is, he's taken them out of Egypt and tried to, tried to change, uh, renew and restore their minds so that they are no longer in a slave mentality. So that they would trust him. They have already seen miracle after miracle of God's might and power. The, 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 the locusts, the flies, the, the, just the utter destruction that God has on their enemies. So that his people could be free. So God is setting up a, 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 the lack of separation. He is trying to bring his people closer so that they could hear his word, hear him speak, and know that he is God. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Then the trumpet sounds a long blast. They shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to them, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick clouds on the mountain and, and very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people of the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, 
and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So imagine for yourselves that you are at the foot of a giant mountain, and you see thunder and lightning. And God speaks through that thunder and says, Moses, come up. I can tell you right now, I'd be terrified. Because it's something different. It's something that can't be explained. Is God safe? No. But he is good. And we would, he would have us be consecrated. He would have us uh, be righteous. Walking steadfast. And listening to what he has us to do. Because if God tells me not to touch a mountain, I'm not going to touch that mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and to look and many of them perish. So if they see me, they're going to die. Isn't it awesome how much God knows us? He knows that we are interested. He knows that we are curious. And he knows us and loves us and wants us to be preserved and to live life and life more abundantly. But to see the face of God is too much for our bodies to handle. So he said, keep them down there because I know one of them is going to look at me. set the limits around the mountain and consecrated. And the Lord said to him, go down and come, come bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Fear the Lord to what you have from us. what God says is truth. That we would recognize your greatness and your might. That we would be in awe of your creation and your blessing for us, Lord God. That we would be in awe of the times that, that you so the one who sets parameters left your side. Laws, rules, what have you, guidelines, Father God, that you let us follow them, grow in, in, in trust in you, Lord God. Because you wants only goodness for you. Maybe we'll such a pleasure the fears of the women being still thinking of us really sons and daughters Chapter 20. 
verse 18 through 21, you have gotten us through difficulty. Let us praise you, Lord. Now all the people let us not, saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. God, let us continue to have that respect. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Continue in your mercy and your justice. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen. These people hadn't fully grasped the greatness of God. All right, but the mercy of God as well. As a whole, they were not interested in knowing him. The Israelite people again and again will, will cry out, hoping that God will make their day better. I'm hungry, thirsty. My feet hurt. We'd be better off in Egypt. You bring us out of here to die? Super complaining. But it's because that they did not trust 